Uh, today being Father's Day, I thought that I would, um, would talk to you about uh, the theme of dads and the title of the message today, Wanted, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, you know, Dads. And just playing around there, you know, with an e you get an eternal reward when you're a dad. Uh, but I'm using this title, Wanted Dads, uh, in kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek way uh, for you this morning. And because I find when it comes to Father's Day or Mother's Day for that matter, there's a lot of, nowadays, a lot of confusion about this. Um, let me try and help you understand why I think it's critical uh, for us to wrestle with this. You, you, you know, you can't avoid it. When it comes to these special days in culture, Mother's Day and Father's Day, because of the direction that the culture has gone, you really can't avoid discussing, well, what does this mean? What is a father? What is a mother, for that matter? I mean, now it has become a politically charged question just to ask, uh, uh, you know, I remember seeing the story of a Supreme Court nominee and our neighbors to the South, you know, being asked the question, what is a woman? And she had a real hard time wanting to answer that question because it is supercharged now with all kinds of ramifications, the way that you decide to answer a question like that. So this is now becoming quite confusing. Uh, the, I, I find that there's confusion in the culture. Um, and again, it's an unavoidable subject. You know, it'd be very easy to just sort of teach a standard Father's Day message and tiptoeing around the obvious in our culture. But there's a huge amount of confusion around this issue now. So... Nowadays, and I know this is hard for church folks to grapple with, but we're living in a culture, folks, where gender is not following biological sex anymore. So gender has, is a, not necessarily uh, uh, following or in sync with biological sex. And folks, that's been going on for a while, all right? Now, a lot of times people who, uh, who are in church don't get this, and they find it to be, you know, a very offensive concept, but that's the concept of the culture, folks. So gender is no longer uh, based on biology. Gender is based on individual decision, cultural acceptance, and so on. And when you start saying, you know, Happy Father's Day, Happy Mother's Day, you talk about men and women and the differences, if there are any differences anymore, wow, there is a whole lot of confusion. I mean, when you get to a point where we're not able to define with conviction what, what gender is anymore, when you get to a point where, where it's becoming, there are laws that are coming in place where you've got to be careful what you're even telling your kids. I mean, here in this, in this building, there's a there's a film that was released on the weekend, very controversial now, uh, the, a kid's film about uh, you know, a character from Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear, great character. Well, this film, very, very controversial because this film has a very clear 
uh, depiction of, you know, two women who, who marry and have a child. We're not sure how. This is very, very clearly portrayed in the film, and it's extremely controversial now because Disney wasn't going to put it in, and then they decided to put it in, and wow, I mean, these things are politically supercharged, very uncomfortable. When you start talking about fathers and mothers and what does this mean today, these are big questions. Even within the church today, there is huge debate about the roles of men, the roles of women, roles of fathers, roles of mothers. If you've ever heard the terms complementarian or egalitarian, this is a raging debate even within the church. And it usually centers on, it's usually polarized on one side or the other. And you have one side who says, you know, uh, uh, they get into debates and arguments as to whether or not women can pastor churches. And they say, you know, you have a group that says, oh, women can never pastor churches. You know, they can never be pastors of churches. All They, they can pastor children and they can pastor women, and, but they can't be, a, you know, a senior pastor of a church. This is, this is uh, blasphemy, you know. <laughs> and then you've got people on the total other side and they say, that's nonsense. Men and women are completely equal. There's no difference in between them. Anything that a man can do, a woman can do. And you have these two. It's a raging debate within the church. You see this in the culture, you see this in the church, and it creates a whole lot of confusion in people's minds. And wow, if someone has an opinion that is, you know, dis disagreed with, it's not just a, a kind of healthy disagreement. It is an intense, passionate, often hate-filled discourse to, to troll the person, to attack the person. Uh, recently, uh, this being Pride Month, as it's called, the month of June in the sports world, uh, there's a baseball team in Florida that, uh, you know, had the colors of pride and, you know, the rainbow and so on, and they, and, you know, they had the, on their jerseys or on their caps, and there was a group of five players who refused to wear it. And they said, well, we're not because we don't agree with the whole thing of the LGBTQ and so on. We don't agree with that, and so we're not wearing those colors. Oh, my word, were these guys criticized. And their statements weren't really, you know, their position wasn't really filled with hatred. It seemed to be just this kind of a standard position that they were taking. But wow, were they vilified for their opinion. So this is a supercharged subject. It's a subject that is, I mean, the, it's out of control in terms of the, the inability of people to debate it. And then when you start to come to, you know, days that the culture chooses to celebrate mothers and fathers, you, you rightly kind of scratch your head and turn it to the side and say, uh, what's a father again? What's a mother again? I'm really not sure anymore. <laughs> and you even look at the church, and the church is just as confused sometimes as the culture is. So I probably offended half the people in the room and half the people online, but I'm just saying we cannot tiptoe around this. It has to be talked about. So let me try and simplify it for you, okay? You're a dad if the following circumstances are true. Now, I know this is going to sound very offensive, okay? But if you look into the Scripture, the Scripture knows nothing of this business of, you know, my gender is not defined by my biological sex. 
You don't have one single example of this in the Scripture. The Scripture knows nothing of it. The assumption in Scripture is you're a, one of the prerequisites to being a dad is that you're a biological male. It's a basic assumption of Scripture. It knows nothing of the, the, what we have done and said, no, 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 biological sex is one thing, but gender is totally another. The Scripture knows nothing of this. So it's just a basic assumption, all right? You can, you can say the Scripture is wrong. You can say it's archaic. You can throw it out. You can, you can disagree with it, whatever, but it's a basic assumption, okay? I didn't even put it on the screen. It's so basic. But you're a dad if the following circumstances, one of them or maybe all three of them exist, okay? Number one, your DNA has been passed on. I'm assuming you're a biological male, okay? That's just a basic assumption of Scripture, offensive as it may be to some. That's, my job is to teach the Scripture. If your DNA has been passed on, you're a dad. You're a male and your DNA. Say, well, how's my DNA been passed on? Well, you know, there's the old-fashioned way. But we have all kinds of technology that helps with this today. You know, you have things like in vitro fertilization and artificial insemination and these things. Well, your DNA has been passed on, sir. You're a dad. If if your partner is expecting and it's your DNA, you're a dad. Baby's not born yet. Guess what? You're a dad. That baby's alive the moment of conception, that baby's alive. Again, if you go by the scripture, I know, supercharged, right? Just happy Father's Day. But folks, that's the culture that we live in. Your DNA has been passed on. Guys, you're a dad. Well, I'm not sure. Well, you might want to check on that. You know, and you say, well, there was this time and there was this place and there. Well, you might want to check on that because if your DNA has been passed on, you're a dad. And you can't say, well, you know, I don't see the person anymore and I don't, it's long gone, it's ancient history or whatever. The, the, the woman has moved on. There was this. No, if, you, if your DNA was passed on, you're still a dad. You're still a dad to that kid. You can't just say, well, time has passed. No, no, no. No, your DNA is there. That's your, that's your biological child. I know these terms can be offensive today. I have a hard time. I can't even believe that it's offensive, but it's offensive today. But I'm just saying, your DNA has been passed on. You're a biological dad. Number two, you're in a blended family situation. Not your biological children, but you remarried, whatever, and the other person has kids and Guess what? You, that doesn't abdicate you. You say, well, it's not my kid. And I, no, no, no you're, you're, in the, you're in the position, you're in the role there of being a dad to those kids. You say, well, they're all grown up anyway. It doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You're, you, you're in a position, you're in a role of influence as a father there because you're in that blended family situation. And the scripture supports this. It does support it. I mean, you have examples of divorce and remarriage in the Scripture. It's not blind to the idea of, well, you know, these are not my kids, but they live in my house. It's not blind to that. It's not naive to that. So you're a dad if you're in that situation. You can't say, well, somebody else's kids. No, you now are in that relationship. You have the opportunity to be the role of a father to those kids, or you adopted a child. Not your biological child, but you adopted a child. Guess what? The scripture is extremely supportive of this concept. In fact, every single believer 
in Christ is adopted. You're adopted into the family of God. Who adopted you? Well, God the Father adopted you. He's the greatest fan of adoption that there is. The scripture is loaded with the concept of adoption. One of the greatest stories of adoption in the Old Testament, a child who was adopted by somebody who wasn't even from his culture or his religion. Guess who? Moses. Good, yeah, Moses. Great example of an adopted child. Grew up in the, in the household of Egypt. He's an example. So if these conditions, any one of them or all three of them are true, you're a dad. You say, oh, but again, well, I don't live with them. But again, they're a grown-up. But again, it's a blended family. But no, 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 you're a dad. And that means that you have the opportunity to fulfill the role of a dad. Now, why do I say that they're wanted and wanted at the same time? People, the, the way that the culture looks at uh, what they perceive as the Bible's perception uh, or the Bible's teaching on what a father is, let me tell you, the culture has a very negative view of this. So if you have a father who, who you know, says, I'm trying to live by the Bible, I'm trying to, you know, do what God says, I'm trying to do, do things as a Christian and be the, I'm telling you, that person is wanted by the culture in a bad way. It's your views are old, your views are archaic, your views are dangerous, your views are anti-women, your views are anti-LGBTQ, your views are anti-this and anti-that. Get out of here with your views. We marginalize your views. We are advanced. That's a 4,000-year-old book, and, and we have moved beyond that, that uh, tradition, and uh, we put that aside now, and it's dangerous, quite frankly. So you have what is perceived by the culture to be those traditional views, and wow, those views are, let me tell you, those views are not appreciated by the bulk of culture, in particular in Canada and the U.S., not appreciated. You say, wow, this is quite the Father's Day message. Well, it, you can, it's, it's such a supercharged thing now, the role of a dad. The role of a, of a mom, the role of a man, the role of a woman, these are things that are under the microscope of scrutiny today. So dads, in a sense, are wanted in a negative way, especially if they pro profess to hold to biblical principles. But they're also wanted in a very positive way. Because if people really looked into the Scripture and saw what the Scripture actually teaches that a dad is and should be, that's what kids want. That's what your kids want. I don't even care if they're adults. That's what they want. That, that, those are the, that's, this is the type of behavior that they're craving for. This is the type of behavior that the, the, the partners of these men, the spouses are craving for to see them raise their children this way. This is what they're craving for. This is what the society at large is craving for and it doesn't even know it. While it sits and criticizes and trolls people who have a so-called traditional view of what a dad should be, sometimes they don't even bother to look into what that view is. There's just the assumption, you Christians, you're dangerous to society, you're, you're a bunch of dinosaurs in your thinking, and what you do is archaic and destructive to children. Please, don't, don't, you know, go to the margins of society. 
No, if you look into the scripture and you see what is a dad supposed to be, what is the role of a dad, we're craving it as a culture. And we don't even realize it. Let me give you just a few examples of this in our, in, in our time together. Some, some verses that I don't know, I don't know if, they're, if they're preached on anymore, but these are very direct uh, to fathers, okay? You tell me if this is offensive and this is too traditional and if this is dangerous. Fathers, do not exasperate or in some translations, do not provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord from Ephesians 6. My goodness, this is a powerful statement to fathers and a powerful statement to their children. Do you know how many children feel exasperated and provoked by their fathers? You probably in this room, even in this sample size, have experienced exactly what the writer is talking about, and he's writing from 2,000 years ago. And this man, the Apostle Paul, to our knowledge, didn't even have kids. And yet he's writing this with tremendous insight. When a child is exasperated and provoked by their father, it's the idea that they can never please that father. That father has exasperated them has pushed them to a place where nothing they do is good enough, nothing they do is acceptable enough, and they're exasperated by their father. They're pushed to this place of, of uh, discouragement and of hopelessness, and then in some translations, to provoke them. And this will lead to eventually a bitterness and a broken relationship, which we'll see in a moment. Fathers do not do that. It's interesting that he starts with that imperative. Do not do this. As if to say, your tendency may well be to do that as a father. Your tendency, your natural tendency may well be to exasperate your child, to demand things of your child that, that are unrealistic, to try and live sort of uh, 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 through your child you know, to, to place your own desires and your own will and your own dreams on that child. And that child never can be enough for you. And then he gives this other imperative. Instead, what do you do? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, let me give you another verse to help you understand that. And this one is from Proverbs 22. And verse 6, here's another, another train up a child type verse, right? In, in the previous verse, he's saying, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. New Testament from Paul, Old Testament from probably Solomon. Train up a child is a famously quoted verse in, in churches all the time, but often misquoted. Train up a child, we usually say, in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
And oftentimes people say, oh, well, then what that means is you train up a child in the way he should go. So you bring the child to church, you bring them to kids' ministry, you, you raise them in church, you put them in all these different things and all this church, churchy experience and the spirituality and the religion, all good. And if you do that, parents, and if you do it good, and if you do it properly, when that child is old, that child will never depart from it. And this is the way that it's taught. And then you get parents who raise their kids. I mean, they may as well have been Jesus' parents. You know, they are perfect parents. The way that they raise their kids, like spotless, and yet their kid turns into a criminal. And they wonder why. What did we do wrong? Why did our child stray from God? After all, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he shall not depart from The problem is what we read into the text that isn't there. A better way of rendering that text, train up a child in his way. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's, that's a, little, a little different. You just take the, the, the should out. The should isn't really in the, in the, the text. It's, we put that in there because we think that that's the way we should translate it. But if you translate it straight, train up a child in his way. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ah, maybe what this means is train up that child in his way, not in your way as a parent, because your way may not be his way or her way. What do I mean by this? Father has a, has a son, and the son is into ballet. The son, the son is, that was on cue, the son is into ballet. He's into, I mean, he's into, he's not into the traditional sort of culturally acceptable, you know, male stereotypical gender role. He's not into that. He's into ballet. He's into, you know, flowers. He's into this kind of stuff. And the dad is panicking. And he's saying, I don't want my kid to be in, my son to be into ballet and you know, all these kind of typically, stereotypically thought of feminine kind of things. I don't want that. You know what the scripture is saying to a dad like that? The scripture is saying, yeah, but that's his way. I'm not saying that the kid's transgender. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the kid doesn't follow the stereotypical understanding of what this, what, you know, he's a, he's a boy. He's got to be a cop. He's got to be a lawyer. He's got to be a fireman. He's got to be a dentist. He's got to be, you know, the prime minister or whatever, all these stereotypical views. And yet this boy, he's into dance. He's into ballet. He's into all these sort of non-traditional things. And dad is panicking. You know what the scripture would say? Train up a child in his way. Say, Dad says, well, I don't like ballet. Well, learn to like ballet. Learn it's what your kid likes. Again, I'm not saying your kid is, you know, you're, 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 you're saying the child, you, the, the boy's going to be, you're, you're justifying transgender. Be very careful, folks. I'm not saying that at all. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't impose your way on his way or her way. That's the way that God designed the child. You teach that child to be Christ-like. You train up that child in the instruction of the Lord. You train up that child in his way. It may not be your way, Dad. 
It may not be your preference. I don't like it. I wanted him to be into sports. Too bad. He's into mathematics, abstract mathematics. Say, I don't like abstract mathematics. Too bad. That's his way. That's the way God wired him. Encourage him in that way. And at the same time, you train that kid to be Christ-like. And when he's old, well, that's a kind of a logical progression. He will not depart from it. Why? Because dad encouraged that child. It may not have been dad's preference. He didn't like ballet. He wanted sports. But dad said, hey, my son likes ballet. I'm there at every ballet competition that my son is in. Listen, I've been to ballet competitions with my daughter, and I'm telling you, there's some really good male ballet dancers. And no, they're not all transgender. Just saying, okay? I know I'm being very, very, treading on some dangerous water here. But folks, we've got to get to a place as dads where we are not exasperating and provoking our children. But instead, we say, how has God wired that child? Let me figure that child out. Let me investigate that child. Let me understand that child. And let me encourage that child in the way that God wired them. Number two, let me bring Christ into that child's life. You do those things, Dad, and you're following Ephesians 6. That is what kids are looking for. They're looking for dads who will not exasperate them and provoke them. I'm telling you the stories of, of, of men and women that I have heard as a pastor that started because of the demands, the rigorous, de unrealistic demands of their father. Wow, incredible. So train up a child in his way. Do not exasperate. Train the child in the instruction of the Lord. The way Paul addresses the Colossians with this kind of thing is even more intense. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In some translations, or they will lose heart. When a child becomes embittered toward their father, now, you say, well, you know, could this apply to mothers as well? Yes, it could apply to mothers. You know, uh, do not exasperate or provoke your children. Could that apply to mothers? Yes, it could apply to mothers. But it's an imperative for fathers. The word that's used there is fathers. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to mothers, but it's imperative for fathers. Do not embitter your children. When your child becomes bitter towards you, dad, that speaks of a relationship that is now broken. Oh, is that painful. And when, when the father has caused it, the potential of this, this passage is that the father can cause the child to become bitter toward him. Dads, you do not want that from your kids. You do not want to be the type of father that, that again, with this, this living vicariously through your child. I mean, my goodness, folks, you, you see examples of this. You know, you see these dads at, at soccer games, you know, assaulting uh, referees because they didn't like the call, you know, for their little, their little kid. 
Like, what are you doing, Dad? Like, that is, that is unacceptable behavior. You're trying to live vicariously through your child. Let your child live. Don't live vicariously through them like that. They're going to become discouraged. They're going to lose heart, and they will become bitter toward you, Dad. And you do not want your child to grow up embittered toward you. There's no more of a poison pill to take than the pill of bitterness as a parent. Oh, my. When, you're, when you lose your child to bitterness... There, there is probably no greater pain that you can experience, at least with your child still living. But this is a potential. This is a possibility. So you have to be careful, Dad, how you parent, because it is possible, apparently, to cause your child to become bitter. And this is not what you want. And you only get a limited amount of time, Dads. And moms, you only get a limited amount of time. Some of you in this room, you have young children. Let me tell you, it goes by, when everybody says it goes by in the blink of an eye, they're right. You think that that's a, just a silly statement. No, the people in this room who have grown children can tell you it's a very true statement. You better make every moment count. You know, I, I'm going to show you a video, uh, an amusing video here. Uh, that kind of illustrates this uh, with dads, okay? Uh, let me show this to you, and you can get ready online uh, with this as well, okay? If you don't get off that Xbox, I will make sure you never play it again. Listen, if you don't settle down and go to bed, you can sleep outside tonight. Little girls who aren't grateful don't get any presents at Christmas. Any of these clothes that are still on the floor in 10 minutes are going to be given to someone who really needs them. You come home late one more time, you won't have a car. Stop fighting or I'm turning this car around right now. 
at, at Disney World, right at the entrance, right? <laughs> it's true, folks. They're not going to remember your empty threats, right? They know your threats are empty anyway. But when, it's, when, when, they're at your, when they're at your funeral, Dad, I'm telling you what's going to go through their mind because I've been there. They're going to be thinking about the time they spent with you. Maybe it was good time. Maybe it was bad time. But that's what they're going to think about. All of the material stuff, it kind of dissipates into nothing. You can't take that with you in the end. It's the time, it's the relationship, and the quality of it. And if the time that you're spending with your child, dads, embitters them, provokes them, exasperates them, doesn't train them in the ways of the Lord, doesn't recognize their unique gifting, their unique wiring, even if you may not like it, Dad. If you are, if you are missing those markers, you, you've got to do a course correct because time is short and you don't have them for as long as you think you're going to have them. And the last quality we'll look at is the quality of discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, uh, the author here is talking about the discipline of God and this whole struggle against sin that we have. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood, yet you have the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And the author here is arguing that sometimes the hardship you experience in life, it's God trying to teach you something. It's God trying to discipline you, ouch. It's God trying to steer you in the right direction by allowing you to experience the consequences of your actions, ouch. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? To the writer, this is part and parcel of being a father, is to discipline and he, he's, he, for him, it's a strange thing if a, if a child is not disciplined by his father. Now, he's assuming that the form of discipline is a healthy one, not a dysfunctional one, okay? The assumption here is that this is a healthy form of discipline. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So he's arguing if a father does not discipline their child, then it's like they're not their child. It's, it, it's like the child isn't theirs because part of the love that they express to their child has to include discipline. There has to be a consequence to actions that are going to hurt that child or hurt other people. There has to be consequences to that. And if you don't impose those consequences in some shape or form, then you're missing it as a dad. You've got to be doing that. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Again, this is assuming, the author is assuming that the discipline was a healthy form of discipline. Some of you, you've been through discipline by your fathers and it was toxic. And it turned out to embitter you. Didn't turn out to you didn't respect your father because of it. You hated him because of it. That's not what the author is assuming. He's assuming a healthy 
application of discipline. But when we as fathers renege on our responsibility to discipline our kids, and we just let them do whatever they want, no consequences to, to foolish choices, no consequences to destructive actions, no consequences to sinful behavior. The author is saying here, that's, that's what's dysfunctional, is when you as a dad are not able to say, hold on here, you cross the line and there's a consequence. It's not an empty threat like the video and turning the car around at the Disney World entrance. It's real life. And in real life, a parent's got that responsibility. You say, well, doesn't the mom have that responsibility? Yes, yes, yes. But here the context is a dad. This is an imperative for a father. It's not this sort of optional thing that you can offload onto somebody else. No, you're in that place. You're in that role. You've got to be able to fulfill that role somehow, some way, in a healthy fashion. You put those things together in a mix, and wow, you're going to have a healthy relationship with your child or with your children, whatever the circumstance is that you became a dad. I'd like the musicians, if they would come and, uh, and just get ready to go ahead and start playing, and we'll finish in prayer. There's a passage that didn't make it into my notes but I, I want to read it to you. I'm not even sure how to interpret it, to be honest. It's always been a mystery to me. But Paul, uh, sorry, John, he writes to, uh, to an audience here um, about all kinds of things. But I love what he says to fathers here. He starts and he says, I write to you, dear children, because you, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Fathers, do you know him who is from the beginning? Do you have a relationship with Christ that you can pass on to your child? That you can train your child in the instruction of the Lord because you know the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Then he repeats himself. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. So first, the dear children, your sins have been forgiven. And now the dear children, because you have known the Father. And watch, I write to you fathers, and he says exactly the same thing to them a second time. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. Do you know him who is from the beginning? You can't, you can't teach your child what you don't know. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You're a dad in this room. You're a dad who's watching the stream or you're going to watch later or listen later, whatever it is. The, the first order of business is your relationship with Christ. Do you know him who was from the beginning? Let me pray for you. Father, for each, each uh, uh, um, father who's in this room, each one who's watching online, Lord, would you help us to, to get that firm foundation of you settled in our lives? Regardless of our age, maybe some of us, we're 
we, we're a single dad. Maybe some of us were, we're a first-time dad, and the baby's, baby's still in the mom's womb, and we're, we're excited and, and scared at the same time. Maybe some of us have grown children. Maybe some of us, it's grown children. It's grandchildren. It's great-grandchildren. Maybe some of us, it's a, it's a blended family situation. Maybe some of us, it's adoption. Whatever it is, God. You want us to first and foremost have Jesus in our lives first. So I pray for each one who's, who's watching, each dad specifically. In the name of Jesus, God, we, we just cry out to you and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, come into my life and be the first place. Be the first person. Be my God. Be my Savior. And enable me to be that dad that you are calling me to be. And Lord, I, I, I pray for, for the situations. I'm sure that, that uh, dads have thought of, of moments and times and situations as the scripture has been digested today. Where, wow, we really blew it. We really missed the, missed the mark. On, on that particular experience, that particular time. Uh, Lord, forgive us. We thank you that you are able to repair. We thank you that you are able to restore and heal relationships and, uh, and, and, and the mistakes and the sins, God. You're able to do that. So we call out to you and ask, Lord, would you just give us favor as we endeavor to be the dads that you call us to be? be. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Happy Father's Day. Remember to get some more donuts on the way out and coffee if you want to take some home. Remember to pick up your kids over in screen number 11. Enjoy your Sunday. God bless you, everyone.